Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm really excited about today's episode, as it's one where I have a guest co-host, and we're going to talk about an often requested topic. But first, let's get to a sponsor of this episode, and that is the Improved Photography Retreat. The retreat's what many would call a conference, but we're calling it a retreat because it'll, we hope it'll be more fun than normal photography conferences are. It's a chance to meet and shoot with the host of the various improved photography podcast hosts like Jim, Nick, Erica, Connor, and some others that you may not have heard a whole lot from. Cecilia and Del Rogers, who are adventure photographers in Australia, will be another uh, set of speakers that you'll be able to get with and shoot with. Tickets are limited to the retreat that will take place in Phoenix, Arizona in March 2017. And as of the recording of this episode in mid-October 2016, only 33 are available. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, a quick getaway to go and feed your photography urges, then head over to improvephotographyretreat.com and buy your ticket today. All right, now for today's topic. I'm really excited to introduce on the show Mr. Dave Dugdell. I've been a fan of Dave from the beginning. Uh, when you first started with your learningdslrvideo.com website, he's kind of shortened that up to learningvideo.com now, and has switched entirely away from using a Canon DSLR for his video to do, he's using a couple of Sony mirrorless cameras now, which we may get to if we had time. But Dave, why don't you take about a minute or two, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm mostly an audio guy by trade. That's what I was doing for many, many years. Um, well, you know, I studied audio engineering and then, um, oh, six years ago. So 2010, um, I transitioned out of audio and I was, um, actually being a, just a, let's see, it was around the time I was being a stay at home dad for just a couple of years when our kids were being born. Um, yeah, somewhere around that time, but basically I was, I was working on other websites. I was just you know, trying different things. And one of the websites I had, which I've since sold, that was doing pretty well as a national uh, housing rental site. One of the things I was trying to do is get links to it. So I was creating spoof videos back then, which were working quite well. Um, and we're gathering links um, to my site, which made my site rank higher. And one of the things I was trying to do is imitate I remember one time I was trying to imitate an Apple commercial where they had this like blurry background. I was like, what is that? How do you get that? I can't do that on my camcorder. How do I do this? <laughs> and uh, I always went to the forums and people were like, oh, you, you can do that now. But just, you know, I need to buy a 5D Mark II. And I was like, I looked at the price. It was like over $3,000. I was like, whoa, that's kind of expensive. <laughs> right. And right. then the, the Canon T2i came out around a little bit after that. And I was like, okay, it was, I don't know, 800 bucks or something like that. I said, I can do that. So I got the camera. I was like, damn, there's a big learning curve here. <laughs> yes. I mean, you could shoot pictures with this, uh, you know, on the green idiot mode. But um, when it comes to video, that's that's a whole new ball game. I was like, there's a big learning curve here. And you can get, you know, amazing images out because I was looking at other people's work. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. But how come I can't get that same thing? <laughs> image? So this my website basically has been a kind of a almost like a journey of me going yeah, yeah. through a lot of the testing, because I come from kind of my audio background, I do a, a lot of testing on certain things because we would specify, I was an um, audio consultant, acoustical consultant actually, I would design sound system, a lot of times we'd have to specify three or four different things, you know, for uh, that the contractor would bid on. And right. then once, uh, you know, they would install that particular item, but I would have to basically review a lot of different things to, you know, what would go in from speakers to microphones, you name it. So I got used to doing that in a very, my boss back then was very detail oriented. So I was like, I just kind of carried that through to what I do on the site. And, and since then, you know, I, I've, I feel like I've gotten better. Um, I would say, when you compare me to somebody like Roger Deakins, if anybody knows who that is, he's a famous uh, DP, uh, worked on just about any movie you can think of. Uh, very uh, famous in the, I guess, the DP <laughs> people of around. But they, he, if you compare me to him, I would consider myself more of a like an advanced amateur. Uh -huh. um, I, I know where do I have these skills. <laughs> so I notice we have a number of questions later on, and I'll try to answer them to the best of my ability, but. What I try to do is on my my videos is 
you stay pretty humble because I realize, you know, looking at other people's work, I am nowhere near, you know, their level, but, um, I do a lot of testing so I can definitely answer questions on, you know, my experience in the last six years, but I haven't been doing this forever. So that's kind of what I, my website's about in a nutshell. Well, that's why it's perfect to have you on the show though, because, uh, we, we have a lot of photographers who are kind of in that spot that you were six years ago. And they want to figure out how to try to introduce video into their services that they offer and have no idea what to do. So it's, it's nice to be able to talk to someone who only did this six years ago, not someone who have to go all the way back to, well, you know, as I was in high school, I played around with things. And for the last 30 years, <laughs> I've been doing, <laughs> doing all this work. That's a lot harder to, to go through. So and, and then the other thing I think gives you a huge advantage is your audio experience. Because to me, video with terrible audio is really bad. And it, but if you can have really good audio, then the video quality doesn't have to be quite as high, because and the audio really makes the experience. Yeah, you, that's what, yeah, that's totally true. I, yeah, and I you know, I, you know, it's weird because your brain thinks kind of differently. Back then, when I did only audio, um, I would walk into a building, you know, if it was a concert hall or something, and I always look around. Uh, the first thing I look for is the speakers <laughs> and, and where they're putting the microphones. And I was very in tune. My you know, when you think about things like that day and night, and then since I've made the transition over to, to video, I think totally differently now. Um, I don't, you know, it's good to have good audio. That's true. But now my brain is more like I'm walking around in different rooms trying to guess the white balance. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So it's a totally different mindset, which I haven't done. You know, if you've got a lot of audio questions for me, I don't know if I can answer them as well as I did many years ago. And plus all the technology has changed quite a bit since I've been out of it for the last, I don't know, six, eight years. No, I think even just the videos that you've got on your site, uh, where you've evaluated some of the audio equipment, it's really helpful stuff even just for that. Cool. So, all right, well, perfect. Let's be sure to check out Dave's website, learningvideo.com, where you can see all of like the really well done instructional videos. Uh, he's posted as he's learned things throughout the years. It's, it's fabulous. I've been following it for a long time. I've taken tons of tips out of it that uh, have been really helpful. Most of it's for free, but there are paid courses that you offer, right? You, you have instruction videos on how to use cameras, like a number of Canon bodies, the Panasonic GH4, your Sony. You offer some training instructions, like paid for training videos, right? Yeah, like uh, the ones in the Canon, I was I was doing about four hour courses, but then I got the Sony's and they were like, boy, this it deserves even more time, especially with S log. So those courses are now like six hours long, like especially on S log, because I devote at least an hour to S log. And this last course, I actually got some help because I'm not a professional colorist. Um, there's a person called uh, out of Australia, I believe his name's Matt Scott. And he's does professional color grading on the side, but mostly shoot film. So I actually had him uh, for about 40 minutes on my last course um, go through a lot of the stuff, you know, grading S-log footage. And I learned a ton from it, too, and I included that in the course. So um, thanks for mentioning the courses. But, yeah, this has been quite a learning experience uh, for me over the years. So it, it, most of my, my – I would say my courses are more like a technical guide. I'm not going to teach you how to like shoot a corporate video or a wedding video or something like that, but more like, all right, I've got this camera. How do I use it? Yeah, uh, how do you turn uh, it on? How do, I, how do I use it for video? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, perfect. All right, so I want you to think back when you first – it was Canon T3. I was the first one you had, right? First camera? Uh, it was a T2i. Oh, T2i. Yeah. All right. So the, the T2I, go back to those days when you had that and you were just getting started. Um, we have the, the listener question that came from our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash photo talk. If you're not joined that group yet, go ahead over there. Ask to join to be a part of that group. We're trying to keep the bots out, so you have to ask to join. But um, C.A. Eccles, one of our frequent contributors in that group, said, Hey, Jeff Harmon, I was wondering if you or one of the other IP crew might consider doing a podcast on shooting video with DSLR. I know Jim Harmer would regularly comment that if we weren't including video in our genre or the services, then we're really missing out on opportunities. I've run into a couple of issues such as aliasing, I think that's what it is, she said, and serious moray, rooftops. 
but I'm not sure why. So Dave, let's say you're sitting down, someone who has their DSLR, and they've learned a lot about still photography. They're doing pretty well with exposure. They can get some pretty good shots. And now they kind of have a client who's asking them if they can do video. What are kind of the first things that you think they should know about doing good video? Basic rules of thumb, maybe, that listeners should be aware of. Okay. Um, like I, you had asked like a top five tip yeah, from yeah. going from stills to video kind of thing. Yeah. And I was actually shooting last night because I love <laughs> loved shooting with these cameras, both stills and video. And I was thinking about how I was shooting last night and thinking about when I first started. So the first thing um, when you're starting out and if you're mostly just a, you do mostly stills, um, one of the things when I shoot stills is I don't worry too much about the white balance. I try to get it close. Right, um, right. I, but when you're shooting video, it's um, unless you're shooting on a red or some, you know, high, super high end camera, I'm sure your, your audience is, doesn't have. Right, right. Most of the cameras you're going to be shooting in a compressed, like, you know, very highly compressed format. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, Sony's XAVCS or like a MOV, MP4 or something like that. So all that color information is baked in, so you can't change it later. Um, so if you're used to that, my biggest tip would be, especially like yes, last night I was shooting in a um, um, middle school gymnasium. My daughter was playing volleyball. And it was interesting because I went into it. The first thing I do now, and I look up to the ceiling for look for speakers, but I look at the lights. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a brand new light fixture I've never seen before in, yeah. in the gym. And it was actually interesting. Um, it was all LEDs. And there were these weird ring lights. I've never seen them before. And so one of my, I guess my first tip is, don't try to get the white balance close. I mean, just try to nail the white balance. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, the, the Probably the best thing um, for you people that are shooting like in a, a mixed lighting environment or, you know, like in a gymnasium like that is bring, you know, your X-Rite passport or whatever you got for, you know, a gray card, white card. And I usually like to white balance off of gray rather than white personally because I find like at least on the Sony cameras and even the Canon cameras that the gray would be closer to skin tones because when you white balance off of white, like a pure white, um, a lot of times, you know, you're trying to like line up the RGB and all that stuff. If you have a, if you can see the RGB or however your camera does it. Um, basically I, through my experiments that I've done, it seems like I get more accurate skin tones um, when I balance off of gray rather than white. So try to, another trick that I do, and I don't know if it's, um, one of the things I almost stay, actually stay away from is the two eye technique I do a lot, um, just to, after I've done a custom white balance. Cause like last night in this gym, I, you know, first thing I did is I guessed, and I, I guessed it was like 3,200 and it was actually, I think it was closer to 2,900 Kelvin. And I knew there was some green in it because it was LEDs. So I, I just uh-huh. took a little bit out on the Sony. You can actually fine tune, you know, by going to, towards magenta. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, it, it, and I was a little bit off. But um, when you have – you open one eye into your viewfinder, electronic viewfinder. Now, if you're on a Canon or some other – like Nikon, you can't do this, obviously. <laughs> but, but if you're, you got one eye in there and you got another eye, your other eye is open and you move the camera around and you can, your brain is processing both of them. You can kind of see the color differences between the two. Um, I almost stay, stay away from that technique because I've tried doing that before and I usually end up um, warming it up a little bit too much. Like I like did that last night and then I come into um, like Lightroom or something else um, or DaVinci Resolve and I'll notice, yeah, I was a bit off. It would, needs to be a slightly cooler. Um, so that would be kind of my first tip is um, try to nail your white balance. Don't don't try to get close. Just try to get as close as you can. So go get there early and um, bring a white card um, or a gray card. So are, are you talking about doing more than just shooting the, the X-Rite palette thing in your shot for a second so that you have it to use in post? Yeah, definitely do that too. I was going to mention that if you're, uh, if you've got the X-ray like passport, like I do, it's so small and lightweight, um, shoot the actual chart too, because a lot of times those, um, those LEDs or whatever you're in like a gymnasium, because those are like the worst shooting environment. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Cause you don't have like, you're not going into a, a well-lit 
NBA NBA type arena where you've got TV lights that are like real high quality lights. You're getting low quality lights and it's dimmer. So it's harder. You're pushing the ISO and it's just all around harder to do. But one of the things I do also is I'll shoot the the X-ray and then bring it in and then run that process um, through a program I used called 3D LUT Creator. And it does an excellent job at correcting the colors um, because though, like, again, the, some of those weird gymnasium lights can just, just look awful. Now, right. you don't, you don't necessarily need to do this like outside. I, my thought process on the outside is just keep everything for me on the Sony cameras at 5,500 and just leave it there. I mean, all day long, even when it's getting um, like dark outside or like evening or, or the sun is going down, I usually keep it that and they, pulls up like that really cobalt blue sky. Um, so I usually leave it pretty much at 5,500 all day long outside. Okay. So if, if they're going in and yeah, you, let's say like it's a wedding scenario. Cause that's where I think a lot of the listeners are or events they're record, they're doing event, fo- uh, video. Uh, and so it's indoors under those horrible, like incandescent lights. And it, how, how did they, what's the process then of doing the color, trying to get the white balance for stills, you might take a shot of something that is kind of the neutral gray, and then you can go into the menus and try to use the values of the shot you just took to get get the camera to pull the white balance out of that image. What do you do for video? Well, in like on the Sony camera, if you're talking about like creating a custom white balance yeah, in camera, yeah. mm-hmm. so in the Sony cameras, and it's a little bit different than the Canon cameras, but the Sony cameras. Um, basically you actually have to go to stills mode. You can't do it in video mode, right. which is like I've complained to Sony about before, but you basically go in, go to custom white balance. You basically go into this, um, custom white balance setting and it actually, I believe it actually asks you to take a picture. Okay. And so it, it shoots a still and basically it doesn't really, I don't even think it really holds. It basically just holds the information. It tells you what's cool on the Sony cameras it actually tells you the, um, the white balance the, the Kelvin and uh-huh. the and the green or magenta shift in this case, which is fantastic because it's a great learning tool because Canon never gives you that information to right. say, yep, here it is. And like, well, what was it? You know, so I can <laughs> learn next time, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then in the post process, um, basically what I do is when you shoot the X-ray, the chart, um, I use 3D LUT Creator. You can use Resolve has one. I'm, sh- I'm guessing like if one of the, the people, I, I'm not a Mac person, but if you have like a Final Cut, there's a program called um, Color Finale, I believe, that also has a way to pull information from the chart as well. And it'll uh, correct the colors because like, like, like I said, these really nasty lights can really make the colors just <laughs> really nasty. <laughs> so correcting them, all of a sudden you correct them and you add that LUT on top of your image to correct the colors. Um, all of a sudden it just pulls everything together and just cleans everything up so much. Yeah. Okay. So what other, you had five of them, right? What, what else would you say? The next one is exposing. Um, in that exposing is a totally huge topic. So I'll try to keep this short. I think I went too far with the white. No, balance, you're but, good. You're good. But the, the exposing part, uh, again, if you're shooting raw all the time, stills, you know, you've got a ton of latitude, um, especially like these Sony cameras. I'm just utterly amazed how much you can pull out of the shadows. But when you're shooting video, again, it's not you're not shooting raw. You're shooting more like a, a baked in JPEG right, right. type thing. So um, if you're shooting more, I would call it a linear um, like creative style, picture style, whatever camera might have it where it's very linear. It has a lot of baked in contrast. Um, the first thing I would do, cause this does actually affect exposure as I would lower the contrast all the way down. Um, whatever, you know, it's like a minus three or a minus five or whatever that is turn it all the way down. Um, and that gives you a lot of flexibility in post. Um, cause that actually does really expect, you know, cause when you, when you have these default, um, contrast settings, it'll actually blow out the whites faster and, mm-hmm. and crush right. your blacks faster. So that would be the, the first thing I would recommend in terms of exposing. Now, and again, I, I'm not, cause once we get into like S log and our a log type thing that becomes a lot more complicated to expose for, but I'm guessing your listening audience doesn't deal with right, right. log footage that much. <laughs> so in terms of like one of the biggest tips I can give is shoot 
a lot of when you shoot b-roll i I think b-roll is a fantastic learning uh, tool like when you're like you're doing a story on something and let's say you're shooting the gym you know a volleyball game so you go outside and you're shooting the the front sign that says the name of the school or whatever just for some b-roll well shoot it at what you think is correct maybe shoot it at what you think that the meter says it's correct and then go like a third of a stop high and then go a third of a stop low and then and just do this on the fly as you're shooting video just move that exposure around and what will happen and this happens to me all the time is like when you're watching it later in post on this b-roll so you're maybe shooting five seconds and normal five seconds high and five seconds low you'll be like oh don't go high don't go low oh go right there right there right there you know you'll you'll actually you know you'll be talking to yourself as right. you're the exposure i was like no no that's too dark no no and what i found and it's it depends on the camera but what i found with the sony cameras i'm always constantly going a third of a stop high i don't know why exactly but when i think i've got it right and then i go a little bit high i'm like oops stay right there you okay. know, because what happens with the Sony cameras is what I think is somewhat different than the Canon cameras. Um, it's been a while since I've shot with Canon, but the Sony cameras record in what, into what's called the super whites. So basically you got zero to a hundred IRE. Um, think of it as your histogram in the stills realm in Photoshop. I guess it doesn't really, I don't know if you know if it goes from zero to a hundred and on the histic or whatever that, you know, that <laughs> thing in, in Photoshop, I'm not, a, you know, a Photoshop genius or anything, but Basically, with in like Resolve, DaVinci Resolve, um, you or any pretty much anything like Premiere Pro or whatever, you can pull and recover those super whites. So if I'm shooting a third of a stop too high constantly, I can recover the highlight information and pull it down into the 100 range to recover it. Right. Um, and so that's worked out really well for me on the exposure side. Okay, so two questions about the exposure side. First, well, first off, Define B-roll, because I'm not sure everyone will know what B-roll is. Okay, so let's say, you know, they give an example of your shooting your daughter's volleyball game like I did last night. You've got all the action, you know, you've got close-ups of your daughter, you've got close-ups of, you know, the you know, other teammates that she's playing with, they're all high-fiving each other. I would, in this case, I'm not doing any interviews or anything like that. It's just something really easy. I would call that more of my primary or a role i guess you could call it uh-huh. but b-roll stuff is stuff that would support it especially if you're doing like an interview and the guy right. starts talking he's you know he's the ceo of a winery and he starts talking about his chardonnay grapes well you want to go outside and get the grapes you right. know you want to shoot that as b-roll that's going to be you know the next layer over uh, on top of what he's saying on your timeline and so that that's your b-roll so I think that to me that is one of my uh, best tips I can give in terms of exposure. Get to know your camera in video mode and find out you'll you'll quickly find out after many shots in different lighting situations whether you're constantly wanting to overexpose a third of a stop or you wanted to stay where you thought it was correct as you were looking at the screen. Um, and and I, these the lighting meters that are in these cameras, um, Canon and Sony, I would you know. It's tough because you might say, well, the, the meter meter wants to be right in the middle, so I'll put it right in the middle, but the shot looks way underexposed or something like that. Yeah. So put it to where your eye, especially with the electronic viewfinders, which are fantastic, you can put your eye right into the viewfinder, whereas like the Canon cameras, you're looking at a display in live view, and it's in your outdoors in a bright, sunny situation, and sometimes it's really hard to see the screen. Yeah. Okay, so when you're change when you're adjusting the exposure and you're trying to get the stops a third over, a third under, which of the values are you going to change shutter? Are you going to change aperture, ISO? Which one are you going to use? Well, in video, you kind of want to stick to what's called the 180 degree shutter rule. So basically, um, you basically want to double your um, so. You, let's say you're shooting at 24 frames a second. You basically want to double that. Right. So it gives, it's close to 50. Um, and so if you're slow, shooting for slow motion like I was last night, I was shooting at 60 frames per second at 1080. So I wanted my shutter to be at 125th of a second. Um, if you can break that rule, totally break it, um, it's going to make – if you slow the shutter too slow, which I've done accidentally on some occasions – um, it'll get very smeary and weird looking, yeah, but if that right. enhances the story and it fits and it works, <laughs> then go for it. I, you know, there's nothing to say you can't break that rule. Or if you're shooting an interview and you're thinking to yourself, you know, uh, or you're like shooting green screen, a lot of things, a lot of times what people will do 
and video is they'll actually increase the shutter slightly. Like instead of like a 50th of a second, they'll go to like almost an 80th of a second. So as you're talking with your hands and the, the hand passes through the green of the green screen, a lot of times when you have a slow shutter speed there, it's going to get very smeary. And that green will smear along with your fingers as you're talking right. with your hands. Well, if you increase the shutter speed, that smear becomes much less um, and it's easier to key. Um, so you can definitely break the rule. It's totally okay. So you're going to be leaving your shutter speed, like I said, pretty much double of your frame rate pretty much most of the time. Right. And then what I was adjusting, sorry, I'm at, <laughs> taking a while to answer your question, but basically you, um, I was shooting at uh, F4, uh, which is the fastest this lens could go. It was a, um, a zoom, a power zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the only thing I had left, which becomes really easy in this case, was all I was doing is just exposure with my ISO. Right. And last night, the lights actually weren't that bad in terms of brightness. I was around 1,000 ISO. Okay. And that's one of the advantages of those Sony cameras that you've got. The ISO performance <laughs> is really good on those yeah. Sony cameras. Yeah. yeah, I was I was shooting with the uh, 6300. And that 6300 keeps up with my A7R2 um, amazingly well. I mean, they match like almost identical. I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's the same. I I know it's not the same sensor, but whatever they're doing in there, it looks (laughs) pretty good stuff. It matches so well. Yeah. So I wanted to get to that point about the 180 rule. I've heard that before. So I wanted to make sure that we included that in the episode. So thanks for doing that. And then the B roll, I think, is a super critical, important thing. We've talked about it like event photography. Don't just take the core salt, the the shots of the people that you're there to shoot, because obviously you need those. Those are the primary shots. Those would be the A roll footage, but the B roll, taking notice of the small things around, going out, taking the picture of the sign, uh, like if it's at a wedding, the sign that has the Mr. and Mrs. out front um, advertising the wedding or telling you people where to go so that they can go to the reception, that kind of thing or the glasses or the cake or whatever stuff is around uh, even friends and family as they're just not even you know part of the event really they're just kind of sitting there watching the event um, yeah like and like last night it's not just shooting because when you're shooting stills you might concentrate on somebody's face if that's the story but with video you've got so many more options that you can cut in with it like the a-roll might be like a close-up of the player's face like if they're sitting on the bench and maybe they're like um, like one of the girls last night was chewing our nails. You could tell she was nervous. But another shot, what you might consider a B-roll shot, because I'm just kind of putting this to music, um, is a, a picture, a close-up of her feet nervously tapping on the ground, just a right. close-up of feet. And that's something, as a photographer, you probably wouldn't ever shoot, you know? Right. So you got to think of things differently, how, how to tell your story, um, rather through a single frame, whereas video, you've got so many different options, especially when you're editing. So when you go, my, I guess my tip would be going into a situation, start to think of how that story is, you know, what do you need for that story? Um, and maybe it's the sign in front of the building. Maybe it's the, you need the coach. A lot of times when I've got volleyball, it's something you might not think of is, but get the ref. If the ref is going to be pointing towards the, the side of the team that, you know, your daughter's on, get the ref because you want, like if somebody spikes the ball really well, well, a great way to do after the crowd reaction, because that would be another great shot. But another great shot is the, the ref pointing to the direction that the, you know, the team that just got the point. Right. So, and you might, as you're shooting stills, it's like, I'm not going to shoot the ref. Who cares about the ref? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. How about more on your list? Uh, the next thing would be, what did I write here? Um, Autofocus. Um, if you are like me and you're kind of more of a one-man band and you don't have a focus pole, in other words, autofocus can definitely be your friend. And it does, now, this depends on the type of camera because if you're using a Canon camera, let's say it has dual-pixel AF, like the 70D, the 80D, um, or the, I guess even the new 5D Mark IV, which I haven't tried yet, right. um, those have amazing autofocus with the dual pixel. Sony has something um, like the new uh, 6300 has really good autofocus as well. Is it as good as Canon? I don't know. I haven't tested them side by side yet, but um, it can autofocus can definitely be your friend if you're a one-person type shooter. And one of the things I use is a, uh, a gimbal. Um, and cause if you're one of these people, if you're trying to get a shot that, that moves from point A to point B and you're trying to do it handheld, 
um, and you don't have any sort of IBIS or five axis image stabilization and you're not very good at walking, <laughs> it's, it's not going to look very good. It's not going to look very smooth, but they've developed these gimbals that are usually like a less than a thousand bucks, um, that can give you just amazing results. Um, so you just stick your camera on this, you know, three axis gimbal. Mine are all kind of like one handed. They're not two handed devices. Uh-huh. So they're really small and portable. So you can get that kind of tracking shot. Um, but going back to autofocus, autofocus definitely can be your friend because since you don't have a focus pull, you don't have this big rig with one person adjusting exposure, another person adjusting like the focus for you on the fly as you're moving. Um, th- these cameras are getting better. And I know a lot of video people out there like, oh, I only buy manual focus lenses, uh, where I'm kind of the opposite. If I'm a one-man band, um, and if you're just starting out in video, try to get a camera or lenses that work really well with uh, autofocus, um, especially for video. Because like last night when I was shooting video, I was the A6300. I had, you know, it's got a bunch of different settings. Like um, a lot of times I will slow the actual um, uh, autofocus performance down. So uh-huh. if I am I going from one person to another? And you can actually change the tracking too. And I actually kind of, I don't put the tracking at fast. I put it normal because if somebody walks in front, like last night in front of the person that you're doing close up on, um, you don't want it to grab that person quickly and start focusing on them. So if you slow the tracking down a little bit and you slow the focus down, I know it sounds counterintuitive in a volleyball game. You think the action's really fast, which it is, but you're panning from one person to another or somebody crosses in front of your frame, which happens all the time in volleyball. You actually want that to perform a bit slower. So you got to play around with those settings. Um, but I would say if you're one man band, you're just starting out, um, buy a good camera that can do some decent autofocus and get fast autofocusing lenses, um, that work well. I think that's, that would be a good tip. Do you think that would mean that you need to have different settings for video than you would for stills? For stills, you might not want to change the slowness of the focus. <laughs> well, on the Sony cameras, I and I remember with my 5D Mark III that I had, you can go in and change just a buttload of settings yeah, in terms yeah. of how autofocus is. But in the Sony cameras, they've got two settings. There's the tracking speed and autofocus speed. Well, that is only for video, which I love for video. But I was actually I ran a test, and I think I put it on my second YouTube channel because. I don't know if a lot of people would be interested in it, but I ran a lot of tests um, covering all, all six modes because there's six different possibilities that you could have. And I, it was, it came out, the test came out inconclusive. So my, my overall conclusion was that yes, you know, those things weren't doing anything for the still side of things, which was kind of discouraging because what I was doing is trying to do autofocus stills with my a6300 at 11 frames per second with a uh, person doing the butterfly stroke in a pool because mm-hmm. as they come out of the water, those water droplets push out in front of the swimmer. And what I would want to do is not have the autofocus grab the water droplets that are, might be a foot in front of them. And if you're shooting at f2.8, you're kind of screwed because it's going to be on the water droplet and on the swimmer's face. So you'd actually want to slow that autofocus down slightly um, so it uh, or the tracking down um, so it's focusing on the swimmer's face. Yeah. So that, you know, unfortunately on the Sony cameras, I don't think you can change those. Um, and at least I, from the test that I did, it came in out inconclusive and it doesn't look like it works. Okay, so it might apply pretty well. If the settings do apply to both, it still might be something that's worth having on both of them then. Yeah, and for video, I've definitely run the tests, and it works really well for, yeah. actually, it works better on video than it does in stills sometimes. I love your second is, channel, by the way, your second oh, nice. YouTube channel, because that's the stuff I really enjoy is seeing people take <laughs> it to the test. I don't have to do the test when I can see yours, so that's great. <laughs> I oh, like thanks. it. Okay, what's the next one on the list? Uh, after autofocus, um, I would say, and I kind of already talked about this, but kind of shoot for the edit. Um, let's say you're, you're going on vacation and, um, think about, you know, if you're going on vacation, it's a family vacation. It's a great way to, like all these examples I'm giving are a great way to get started. Don't shoot your first wedding video with not experimenting with your own family or, right, right. You know, or you've got some friends, go out and create a video or something like that. Don't. 
don't do it on a paid gig because there's so many things to learn. I'm learning constantly and I've been doing this for six years and I look at some of these other people's work and I'm like, oh my gosh, I suck. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I've learned so much. I look at my work that I did six years ago and I'm like, whoa, I sucked a lot more back when I first started. But um, uh, one of the best thing I can say is watch other people that are doing similar work to you or what you wanted to get into. Like if you want to do wedding videos, definitely watch a lot of those just subscribe to YouTube channels or on, especially on Vimeo. I think there's more on Vimeo that you'll find and then watch how they're doing the coverage. And so when you go into it, you know, kind of have a shot list. I don't know if you write it on your hand or whatever you need to do a list in your back pocket, but as you're going through the wedding or whatever you're doing, just um, try to, Keep with that, you know, try to, you know, shoot openly. So if something's happening, don't try to cover the B-roll or whatever you had on your shot list, but go after the shot that's happening right in front of you. But try to think about the whole story because there's been so many times when I've like, I'm cutting something I'm like, oh man, I just, I really need this one shot, you know, this, and I forgot to shoot it, you know, and it's, yeah. it, it's really taking away from the story. Um, so if you're brand new to it, A, study other um, Vimeo people that are in your field. Find out what they're covering. Find out how it makes you feel. Uh, I know that sounds weird, but as you're watching the video, um, you know, somebody else's video, write down like, oh, that, that, that just felt really well done. That, that part right there, why did it feel? And break it down. Like tear it apart. Like one of the things I did, I'd never done a 30-second commercial before. Um, and I did this a few years ago. And one of the things is I did, I, I found another, that was actually a commercial on a um, swim coach for her, for this place that she teaches at. And, she, you know, I just approached her and said, let's, let's do a 30 second video. She's like, yeah, that'd be great. So I had a whole bunch of B-roll before because um, my daughter was swimming there. And so all I had to do was an interview with her. And, but it, to get the story, I basically looked at other examples um, online of 30 second commercials that made me feel really good. And and what you do is you just basically take it in your timeline, whatever editor that you use and just chop it up and then move it around and trying to figure out and you really get inside not only the person that shot the video, but the really the person that edited the video. And why did he put this shot before that shot, especially on the swimming video, like how a swimmer comes out of the water, what angle you're going to get, you know, the underwater footage and the, you know, the, the footage on top and, and the reaction shots to the, the coach, maybe the voiceover, um, all that stuff. Um, you learn so much just by dissecting it. I mean, just tear it apart and understand what they're doing. And then when you go to shoot your own, you know, video, you know, you'll, you'll be light years ahead because you'll know what shots you need to go after. I mean, so many movies today, I mean, are are kind of, you know, formulaic, I guess you could say. And they're doing that because they're studying the people that they liked before. And you're starting out and you're like, well, I don't want to copy, but believe me, you're going to learn so much more. <laughs> <from> copying. <laughs> right. I mean, make it your own, but you know, you could at least copy like the, the photography part of it at least, uh, or how the story is told. Right. Your story might be a little bit differently, but you'll learn so much because the next time you do it, then you're like, okay, let's try it a little bit differently this time. And, you know, I'll incorporate something new. Right. I really like that tip of trying it on your own family or something first. Uh, don't advertise a service that you're going to provide until you've, you've got some core things down. Like we're going to, I think we're going to get to some editing stuff later and so on. If you've never done that before, boy, that can be overwhelming the very first time to get to go into it. Yeah. Yeah. Editing is, yeah, I would, you know, uh, one person you should definitely follow if you're not following already. I started following when he had like 60,000 people, but now he's got 5 million. If you want to see really good editing, you won't see really good, I wouldn't say image quality or maybe composition or whatever. But if you want to see some really creative editing, definitely follow Casey Neistat on YouTube. That guy is just killing it in terms of his edits. I'm just like, it's so good. Every time I watch it, it's like, how does he do it? It's just, <laughs> do you follow him at all? I, I know, not that one. Yeah, he's fantastic. Just look up Casey Neistat. He does a daily, he creates a daily video oh, and, okay. he, and he's a filmmaker. So he, his videos are really well done. And you're, I get so many ideas from watching his videos. <laughs> So, okay. yes, I would say copy, steal, steal from right. other people. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it with stills of, of trying to replicate something that you see someone did 
figure out it, you're going to learn a ton by trying to set it up how to figure out to, to reproduce a similar kind of result on your own and same thing with video that's just going to be a, a good way to learn yeah okay what's next on your list you have was it one more well the, the only one i was going to say is um which i've kind of touched on already would the fifth one would be get a gimbal because if you're trying to get from point a to point b let's say you're trying to follow the bride down the the i don't know somewhere where if she's going down the aisle let's say um basically if you tr- tried it i know this from experience and i've tried many different steady cams um that are mechanical so basically it's counterweight there's you know you set it up there's a lot of it's heavier sometimes these you know steady cam or glide cam type devices um you'll People will say that you'll get a much more organic feel than you will from a electronic gimbal, one that has motors. Um, and that's probably true. But the way I see it is if you're just starting out, don't just bypass the, uh, you know, the glide cams or the steady cams. Just go and get a five axis or not five axis, a three axis uh, gimbal um, that has three motors that can. And the biggest thing that will happen is your roll or your your axe your horizon will always stay steady um, compared to what if you're just trying to start out and learn on a um, mechanical device um, and these things are you know you can pick one up from 600 to like a thousand dollars and it will hold your smaller type camera might not hold a 5d mark three with a 24 to 70 but it'll definitely hold like a you know a7 s2 with a you know 10 to 18 or or something like that um, in terms of weight. So, um, again, I, I wouldn't invest so much time learning how to use because it takes a long time. Look at Devin Graham, Devin yeah, Supertramp. Yep. That guy's amazing. And it, I remember talking to him once at um, a, a trade show. And he says, yeah, basically, I just went out every day for a whole month and I just practiced <laughs> every single day for like hours on end. And he said, I, I finally got a hang of it and understood how to walk and how to move, you know, how to use my arm as a shock absorber. And he was giving me all these great tips about it, too. But if you want to bypass all that and not do this up Devin Super Tramp, you know, practice for hours a day for a whole month, just go out and buy three axis gimbal. Like the one I have is the Pilot Fly H2. It comes in around, I don't know, 900 to $1,000. That thing's just fantastic, and it'll hold quite a bit of weight. Uh, the payload's pretty high, so you can mount some good stuff. But my my tip would be try to keep the camera at almost half the weight of its max weight, and then you'll get even better results because you won't have to fine tune it as much. Because okay. um, there is a bit of tuning in the PID settings, which can get um, pretty pretty. Um, pull your hair out, basically. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> pulling your hair out, trying to get it to you know set up for that particular body and lens combination and then once you've got it then just set it to a profile and then if you've got another lens you put on there set a different profile and then on most devices you can switch between them just by pressing a couple of buttons and you can change profiles mm-hmm. okay all right how about uh, let's let's go to some of the other questions that uh, that came into the through the facebook group one of them was rolling shutter what is rolling shutter what can you do about it so go over that so rolling shutter is basically that kind of jello effect that you see when you pan too quickly or it usually has to do with pan and it usually happens most it gets most exaggerated when you have a um a vertical like like right now i'm looking at one of my light stands and it's very close to me if i were to take the camera and i would do a what's called i guess a a whip pan so you're whipping past it and then you were to freeze the frame as you're, you know, in the video right in the center where you whip past the light stand, the light stand will be skewed. And it usually, um, I believe it's the same on all cameras, if I'm not correctly, because I believe the, the camera reads from the bottom of the frame up. So at the top of the frame, it's going to be skewed to the left. And by the time it gets down to the bottom, it'll actually be correct. It'll be, right. so you're going to get this very wobbly, jello-y kind of effect. Just take a piece of, think of a piece of jello and shake it. And that's what you're going to get to your image. And this happens a lot on cameras like the A6300 from Sony. Uh, and all other ones do it too. Um, but if you have in like a Red Epic, um, it hardly does it at all. Those higher end cameras hardly have any rolling shutter. Or if you have what's known as a global shutter, then I think I've never tested a global shutter camera because usually those are very expensive. 
Um, but usually, I don't believe, from what I understand, they don't have any rolling shutter. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the, you know, these consumer devices that we have, like, the, I'd say most of your audience, you're going to get rolling shutter. It gets, and it gets worse as the the resolution goes up. Typically, so if you're shooting at 4K, um, you're going to get even more rolling shutter. So things that you can do to help it. Like the A6300 does not have image stabilization on the body, um, but the new A6500 that's coming out, I believe, in November does. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that will kind of help because as you're moving the camera around, um, the the sensor itself is going to be compensating for that, and you'll get slightly less rolling shutter. One of the things, I'll, you know, I it's one of these things that don't really bother me because I don't shoot. Um, I do shoot sports, but I don't shoot like an action thriller sequence where you might be like <laughs> totally manhandling the camera and you're running around and you're chasing after people with guns and stuff like that. In that case, I think you might want to invest in a global shutter camera or something else um, that has a lot less rolling shutter. Um, but a lot of these newer cameras, yeah, they're just bad. They're all bad. <laughs> it's just <laughs> They don't handle it well, yeah. Yeah, just the, the biggest the biggest tip I can give you is do not have a um, something like a like a light stand or something vertical. I mean, I know you're not gonna have light stands in your shots, but that's something that's going up and down in your image, um, close to the camera. Or if it's way off far in the distance, a great example of this is if you're driving down the road, just stick your camera out the car. Yeah. Yep. And, and you're gonna have trees way on the background, especially where I live, because you've got lots of open areas here. You're gonna have telephone and trees um, and all this other stuff way in the background, but you're gonna have like the guardrail uh, up close. And then what you, what you're gonna notice is when you stop the frame, anything that's super close to you to in the frame is going to be skewed heavily while the stuff way back is going to look normal. You know, like there might be some like power lines wait like a mile away or, or half a mile away or something like it's going to look totally straight up and down. So think about your shot in terms of what you have it and when you're going to do a whip pan, just make sure there's nothing, you know, vertical in the shot. Like, uh, that's going to show that off a lot. Right. And there's, and there's stuff in after effects that will fix it. Um, it's time consuming to do, but you can actually fix some of that rolling shutter um, with some of the effects like an After Effects. We'll fix it. Okay. All right, let's go to a question from Russell Stentiford. It's always dangerous when I'm trying to pronounce people's names. <laughs> but he said, he asked, could you ask, or let's see, better to capture small clips for editing, recommended editing software, handheld or gimbals. We already talked about that one. Pros, cons of using DSLR, top three do's and don'ts for newbies. So we've done most of that, but how about small clips for editing and recommended editing software? All right, so recommended software, I'm gonna probably, I'm out on the fringe, um, but I can recommend this piece of software because I've been using it uh, since the beginning of the summer, like every almost every day. And if you're looking for something free that has just wickedly powerful color grading um, capabilities. So if you're shooting S-Log or shooting Canon Log or whatever, and you need more than what, let's say, Premiere Pro is giving you, or you need more that, you know, Apple Apple's uh, Final Cut X or whatever it is, um, Resolve is probably the most powerful program out there. And it's totally free, totally yeah. free. And this last update, the 12.5 update, the editing has gotten really good. Now, I will tell you, if you're used to Premiere, or I would say Premiere because it's the only one I've used recently. I, um, I used to use Vegas many years ago. But if you're using like something like Premiere, you're going to need a really beefy GPU because the Resolve is more uh, GPU-centric and puts more of the weight on that rather than the CPU. Whereas like Resolve, I noticed that um, it was more CPU intensive. So you're going to need a really beefy machine if you go that route. So even while the software might be free, you know, your, your computer upgrade definitely might not be. <laughs> so, um, that would be, again, I'm on the fringe case, but if you've got the 50 bucks a month, uh, premier is an excellent program. I've used it for years. It's rock solid. It doesn't crash that often. They did some wonky things recently with the integration of speed grade. Um, they're trying to get you more to go to their color tab, which isn't the reason I switched to resolve is premier pro is not innovating quickly enough on the color side of things, especially these cameras that shoot log, you need a powerful program and 
the Adobe is just not doing that very quick enough for me anyway. And they, from my understand, after I got rid of my membership at the beginning of the summer, they cut off a very important part, um, which was the dynamic or round tripping um, that you could do quite easily and seamlessly with SpeedGrade. From understand now, that latest update, you can't even go to SpeedGrade and come back again. There's something weird going on there, so I don't know all of this, the story behind that, but if you're adventurous and you want to go out on the fringe like myself, I would I would recommend uh, uh, Resolve uh-huh. if you've got a beefy computer. So I've, I've tried out Resolve. I use Premiere mostly, um, and I use Vegas still a lot. Actually, I like I just it makes sense to me. Vegas, the layout of it makes sense to me. <laughs> So um, the thing I found hard in Resolve was it didn't make sense to me <laughs> at all about how to edit in it. I had it was like, where is stuff to do in this thing? Uh, it, it, it took me a while. I was editing very slowly in the beginning, but now I would say I'm editing at the same speed sure. as I did in Premiere. If, I believe if you're coming from uh, Final Cut X, I've heard a lot of people say going from Final Cut X to Resolve is easy. Going from Premiere to Resolve is a lot harder because – there's a lot of weird things going on in terms of how you trim, slide things around, slip and slide. The, yeah. A lot of that stuff can be very um, – there's a lot of different things. Like, you know, you might hit um, – you select a clip and you hit the delete key and all of a sudden everything shifts. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. I, you know, I yeah, had to try yeah, to okay. that. I didn't want to move it. But if you hit the backspace key – then it works normally. And you're like, oh, okay. a lot of little things like that. <laughs> so in terms of setting up my keyboard shortcut, I've set it up to, you know, because my muscle memory was there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Your I set it up to be very similar to that. And then I added a few more sh- keyboard shortcuts. Now, I've, like I said, I think I'm pretty much back to the same speed I was, was editing-wise with, with Premiere. And it, was it just experience? You just spent some yeah, time uh, in the software? Oh, yeah. No. I mean, I, I've been editing it in almost on a daily basis. So... After like, what has it been, maybe three or four months now that I've been using it, um, it's taken a while. So I'm not saying there's not a big learning curve, but I think ultimately what one of the reasons I switched was, oops, sorry, okay. a little notification. Um, <laughs> the reason I switched was I was spending so much time in Premiere's color tab with S-Log footage to get it to where I wanted it, whereas when I was in Resolve, yeah, I was spending more time editing, but I was spending a lot less time color correcting the uh-huh. S Live And now I'm faster because my editing is caught up and now I can color grade even faster than I did before. So if you shoot a lot of log footage, I, I, it might be something to entertain. I, I'm not saying this is for everybody and I'm not saying there's a big learning curve <laughs> um, and you might hate me if you try it, but you you can try it for free. It's, you know, I have got, I went to Craigslist and bought what's called a um, black magic dongle uh, for resolve. And it unlocks some of the other really powerful features. There's not many that are not, the free version is pretty full version. There's a few things that are not included in the paid version. And I picked this up, this dongle for like three or $400. Mostly, normally it's a thousand dollars, this dongle for the studio version. But there's a lot of people that buy a Blackmagic camera and they look at the dongle and say, I don't need it anymore. They put it on Craigslist and you can get one for a three or 400 bucks. And like, for instance, the um, noise reduction, especially in 12.5, is just mind blowing how good it is. Huh. It's it's fantastic. And then, then they've got all these new lens flares. There's lens correction. There's some stuff that you will not get um, in the free version. But that's about it. Like lens correction, you know, flare effects and noise reduction, but everything else, free version, totally powerful. Okay, but it's it's like the learning curve for the still photographers when you had to learn Lightroom and Photoshop or on one, whatever editing would, software you're using. You I gotta spend some time in it, right? I would say it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say it's even higher. Yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll be screaming and tearing your hair out at the beginning. Yeah, I, it, it, so my first experience when I went to use Resolve was even just figuring out how to load the clip in. Like, where do I even pull a clip in? <laughs> yeah, it was so different. So yeah, it's different. So and sp- I'm not. And I'm not saying it's for everybody. And there's so many people are entrenched. If you've got a Premiere Pro After Effects workflow, that loop that you do, um, that dynamic link or whatever it's called now, yeah. um, don't go to Resolve because I mean, Resolve does have an alternative though. It's called Fusion, and Fusion is free too. 
And so if you're tired of paying that $50 a month fee to uh, Adobe, um, you can look at Fusion because Fusion is pretty darn powerful what you can do and sky replacements to whatever you're doing. Um, you can do it. And, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say that totally because I don't use Fusion that often. So, um, <laughs> uh, but I understand if you're, if you've got that Premiere to um, After Effects combo and you use that a lot, then this might not be for you. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's go to a few more questions here. Uh, we've covered a lot of what are in the questions, but one was, how do you know when to pan and zoom versus just keeping the camera still? That's a really good question, and it's one of those depends questions. It depends what you're shooting. Um, if you're shooting an interview, um, you're probably going to keep the camera locked off unless you're doing some fancy slider move on a motor or something like that. Yeah. But then you might be going from one cut to another one where it's it's steady and then one that, you know, the person's and it comes down to editing. You know, I mean, and it depends what you're shooting. I mean, obviously, if you're shooting sports, you're going to be panning all over the place following right. like you know, volleyball, for instance. I was shooting a lot of video last night as well. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough one to answer. I'm not quite sure what he's getting at with that question in terms of. I don't know. Can you give me an example or um, what you, maybe you can read his mind more than I can <laughs> in terms of what he's asking for? Because it's such an open-ended question. Uh, and I don't I, know. I think it's just kind of – to me it would be how do you try to keep the shot interesting? If it's just still and sitting there, that oh, turns see. out to be pretty boring. So how do you know when to incorporate um, some motion or – and my own answer would be this is where kind of the B film B footage would come into play. You you might want that interview locked in place, maybe two different things where you have one zoomed out a bit and one that's zoomed in more and switch between those periodically. But then as they're talking, if you have the B-roll stuff, you can switch to that, keep the audio of them talking going, but switch to that B-roll and that makes way more interesting video than just locked in on, in one place. Yeah, I mean, if you, I think I can understand where he's coming from because he's like, well, I'm shooting stills all the time and there's no movement. You know, I, there's, <laughs> right, there's, right. You can't pan on the camera, that kind of thing. So I can understand. So let's say you're doing, you wanted to get into wedding, you're doing wedding videos, you want to get into that. So let me try an example. Like, let's say you're the, the bride is getting dressed. It's that kind of thing where she's getting her makeup on, the other women are in the room, got kind of that kind of shot, I guess you could say. And oh, I should plug one podcast. Um, it's called This Week, or no, it's called Our Week in Video. If your listeners don't know it and you're trying to make that transition from shooting stills to video, those guys are great because they shoot only wedding videos and um, they just talk about their week of shooting w wedding videos and it's fantastic. I've been on their show a couple times. Um, highly recommend it as a podcast. But, you know, they talk about these scenarios like, you know, in that that room where the bride's getting ready. Um, for instance, you know, you're talking about B-roll, like the dress. Maybe it's not a wide shot of the entire dress, but maybe you are panning up into the dress, you know, or panning down to the dress or panning to the side from the dress. I think as you're starting, you know, again, I would study other people's videos that they've done yeah, and you're right. watching the B-roll and you're like, I see how he's panning up into the dress and that just seemed wrong. Or, you know, when you pan <laughs> to the side, that makes me feel better. Um, it's that kind of thing. Or let's say the the person is getting ready. Um, maybe, you know, there's other things like you're, like you're moving the camera. It's like, I don't know, you're going from the mother's reaction because she's helping her put the makeup on, let's say, and you got a close up of the mother, but then you pan slightly over to the bride. Um, and then you might have to do a rack focus at the same time. Um, that, that I would think, you know, especially if there's a reaction going between the mother and the daughter, um, that, that would be definitely a reason to move the camera because maybe you want those close up reaction shots. Maybe one's crying, somebody's crying in the shot. Um, I, again, I, it's a really tough question to answer because if you study films, there's some great channels out there like, um, is it every picture has a frame? I think it's on YouTube. Tony, I can't remember his name, but he talks about certain DPs will like to shoot mostly locked off, like, and that's their style, uh -huh. and it works well for that particular story. Whereas some DPs like are constantly moving the camera. You know, and you, if you're talking like a like what was it, Michael Bay kind of 
you know, uh-huh. the, the camera's constantly moving. But if your story wants to be more like, what was it, the Gone Girl, I think it was? I think I remember hearing a podcast about how a lot of times those, a lot of purposely just locked off all the time. So it depends on the style, it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're just doing locked off shots, you're going to have to move the camera a lot, obviously, to a new position and then start rolling again. But, um, yeah, that's a, I don't know. It's just a tough question to answer. Sorry if I'm doing a terrible job answering. I, I think it's just it, you got to go shoot. You've got to go get some experience and, and see what you like, build your own style, study it. Like you said, that's, that's all good things there. Okay, well, let's do one last question, then we'll kind of wrap up the show. And the question that I wanted to get to is where you probably have a little bit more expertise than you were being humble about earlier. That's good audio. Um, I do think that makes that makes the video. If the audio is terrible, it's just painful. It doesn't matter how good the image quality is. It's really, really painful to watch video that has terrible audio. So what what is maybe like the the least expensive option that you know of that does decent enough audio to really improve that experience? And how do you use that with your camera? So I would say the cheapest option, I've tested a lot of them in that $200 range. I don't know if you want to go, if you're talking about a shotgun, we're going to talk about shotguns first. It would probably be the Rode VideoMic Pro coming Uh around $200. I've tried the Shure. I've tried some of the other ones, um, especially at NAB, walking around the booths, trying different ones, and I've had them in for testing. But that one has the best, most natural sound, and it has some nice low end. I would say that's, in the coming out of 200, I don't, think you want to go much lower than that and obviously you can go way higher than that you can yeah, get some right. very expensive shotguns but i would say what your audience is just getting started that's a fantastic one just to start off with um and then in terms of using it um you can definitely connect it directly to your camera i know a lot of people say that's kind of a bad idea and you want to use cleaner preamps but a lot of times i will just connect it directly to the camera either through a a long cable because um, one of the biggest rules I would say is you definitely want to get it close. Right. Get right. it within get it within three feet. Uh, if you start getting five, six, ten feet away, forget it. Um, it's too far. If it's just get it just out of frame. Um, if you're doing interview, it could just be above their head, for instance, and just frame it up so you can't see it. Um, that would be my number because if you take the the um, Rode VideoMic Pro, it's extremely hot. And what's great about it being a very hot microphone is when you feed into your camera, you can take it, the camera, like the A7R2 or whatever, and just bring that audio all the way down to like the, the lowest point it'll go. If you go all the way down, I think it turns the audio off on most cameras. But if you just go to the lowest setting and then you have the plus 20 setting on the Rode VideoMic Pro, you're pretty much going to get pretty decent audio if, and that's a big if, if you get that microphone at least within like three feet of the person talking. I mean, it could be farther, but it depends on, you know, if you're doing an interview, I would keep it within three or four feet. Now, if you're going, that that would be the, that would be the cheapest way to get started. Um, once you get to wireless, then it gets a bit more expensive. Like right. you're talking four, five, six hundred dollars for kind of, uh, you know, a dependable type of system. Um, and then you can get into thousands of dollars. Like, you know, I used to use microphones like on stage performances that, you know, electrosonics, I can't even remember how much they're cost, but they were like two, $3,000 per system, you know, mm-hmm. per channel. It, it was, gets very expensive. Um, so that's, is that kind of what you're looking for? Yeah. The, the road video is where I would have gone to, uh, I, they, they, they're really, really good. And you can, they even have like hot shoe mounts so that you can put it there for run and gun stuff. If you're not doing interviews and just get the camera in close so that you're within those three feet, if you can, um, then, then that really helps. So yeah, that's, that's great advice there. I think and it's really helpful to bring it into the camera because then you don't have to sink. Yeah. If you're lazy, like I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can go to an external recorder, like, um, what is it? Zoom H1 is probably the, one of the cheapest ones. I can't remember how much they cost. They're like a hundred bucks or so. Yeah. Um, and they're really tiny, really small. Um, and what's great about them is if let's say you don't have a cable that will reach from the microphone to the camera, well then you can connect it up to the, like the zoom H1 and put it in the guy's pocket almost. Um, right. or, or you can almost take a lavalier, put it on his shirt, and then go into that H1, put it in his back pocket, and you could use it kind of as a cheap way of getting, you know, dual sync sound audio. And the audio quality going to those type of devices is slightly better, 
but I mean, it's really slight. I mean, there's yeah. not much difference, especially if you follow that practice that I talked about before where you have a very hot microphone and you turn the preamp on the camera all the way down. You're going to get very close to it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very good. All right. I, I think that will cover the questions for the most part that we had. So thank you, Dave, for joining me. I really appreciate you spending the time with me on it. Um, just one more time for uh, telling everyone, where can they find you? I'm at um, learningvideo.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, Google+. Those, uh, I think, are pretty much where I stay. And um, I have Snapchat, but I, I just can't go there. <laughs> I usually follow my daughter on Snapchat, and that's about it. Yeah. But I, I do appreciate you know you guys doing these type of podcasts. I did listen to the one with Sharky James. That was fun to listen to. Um, I did a podcast uh, myself when I started this site six years ago, and I quickly learned probably most of your listeners take for granted, but um, how hard it is uh, to do these podcasts because getting a last guest lineup and the time slot and then, you know, doing the prep for the show that you have to do. So I just want to say thank you for, you know, doing this and sharing um, this with your audience because it's a lot of, a lot more work than I think your audience <laughs> really knows about. It so, is, it is, but it's fun. I enjoy it or else I wouldn't do it. So that's, it's good. Um, all right. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, Dave, for, for, uh, for joining. I really appreciate it. I think it's going to be a, a really fun episode for people to listen to because there's a lot that seem to have no idea what to do with video. video and I think we gave them some starting points uh, to, to use now. All right. So that's the end of the episode. Don't forget, check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. You have Portrait Sessions, Tripod, and of course, the Improved Photography Podcast. Also take time to head over to the mothership at improvephotography.com where we have articles going up daily about news gear and just general photo tips all the time if you're not spending time as a still photographer heading over to those every single day then you need to make sure you include that in your routine it is the best way to improve your photography views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography llc or its advertisers some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned.